Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Why talk about it if it's going to be the case forever? And that's why we're going to talk about it because we actually do see now that it's threatened and that it is potentially going to change and we need to prepare for that. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about their pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E. You're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. 
For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how are you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of the fluffy stuff with us today. Rebecca Walser. How are you doing, Rebecca? I'm good, Joe. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad to hear that. It is my pleasure. A little bit about Rebecca. She's a wealth strategist, a certified financial planner, a tax attorney, and Investopedia's named her in the top 100 U.S. advisors, not once, but twice. She's also the author of Wealth Unbroken and podcast host of Crashes and Taxes based in sunny Tampa, Florida. Today, first off, we hope you're having the best ever weekend because today's Sunday, we have a special segment called Skill Set Sunday, and Rebecca is going to talk to us about the three ways that real estate is a tax-favored investment, and are those three ways going to stay? And if not, what do we do about it? So I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Rebecca, I guess to kick things off, would you mind just telling the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and then let's roll right into the taxes? Yes, absolutely. That would be my pleasure. Again, thanks for having me, Joe. So I basically have been in finance my entire life. I learned about money at four years of age. I had a personal experience with my family. My parents weren't that great with money. They came from a lot of money, both of them. And when you get two people together that come from a lot of money, they don't really know what they're doing with money. They don't understand the value of money, how it's earned, how to keep it. So they were unfortunately a little bit of a financial disaster and they had four kids right in a row and it just really framed me. Our power would be cut off all the time and weird things like that. And I just said, hey, whatever this thing about money is, paying bills, it's not going to be me. I'm going to do it the right way. So I was pretty much obsessed with finance since the very beginning, knew I would always be in the financial world graduated with my undergrad in finance with exactly the right credit hours. I did not waste one class, laser focus, got my first job with Price Waterhouse before the merger with Coopers and Libran. My senior year of college, worked for them internationally in the global financial world of consulting for five plus years. Then I moved to IBM, AT&T. Then I went into real estate finance. So I ran the gamut of finance, I'd say all around multiple sectors. Then I decided, hey, I keep bumping up against this thing called taxation. You make a lot of money or you're trying to help big corporations make a lot of money and there's a lot of stuff you got to deal with tax on. So I said, you know, I think I need to quit my job and you'll become a tax lawyer. So I did that, just that I was able to financially quit, go back to school. I went to University of Florida for my law degree and then I went and got my extra advanced law degree from NYU out of New York City in tax, which is the best tax program in the country. I then practiced tax law exclusively for a few years and decided this isn't going to work. I'm not just a tax lawyer. I'm actually a financial person that wants to do tax and finance together, not just one solely independent of the other. And I opened my own practice going on seven years now. So that's kind of my background. And just by having that job in college shows the initiative. I mean, you mentioned you didn't waste any credit hours, which I never really thought of. I definitely wasted some credit hours, but maybe I got more well-rounded. Who knows? Probably you did, Joe. (laughs) having Having that job as a senior in college, that speaks volumes about the tenacity and the focus, in my opinion. So let's talk about the three ways that real estate is currently tax favored, and then would love to hear your thoughts on if that's going to stay with us. Yeah. 
if you don't mind, Joe, what I want to do is flip the script for one second. And before we go into how real estate is so tax advantaged, I want to tell your listeners, why are we talking about that changing possibly? Why talk about it if it's going to be the case forever? And that's why we're going to talk about it because we actually do see now that it's threatened and that it is potentially going to change and we need to prepare for that. There's nothing to be scared of. It's always the unknown that we're afraid of. Once you know and you have potentially active strategies that can help you deal with what is coming, then you'll be okay, right? So what I feel like is most real estate investors don't really understand the tax code around real estate and why it's so favored. And I definitely want to go into that. But I first want to tell your listeners, why are we even talking about this if it's not going to change? It's going to change in my lifetime. And I definitely believe in your lifetime as well, Joe, and certainly a lot of your listeners' lifetimes, because these changes are happening now very fast. They're coming very, very fast now. And why is that happening? So you're probably very familiar with, and I'm sure that your listeners are, the terminology kicking the can down the road. Okay. 1031. (laughs) So we've kicked this can down the road. And I'm specifically talking now about the broader world of America. And specifically, when we're talking about the kicking the can down the road, we have known really since 1965 that we were going to have a huge problem between 2020 and 2030. And we've known this for a very, very long time. Like I said, since 1965, when Medicare got signed into law, and we've done nothing about it. And the politicians have kept saying, oh, we'll deal with it later, deal with it later. That's the kicking the can down the road. So why is everything changing? Well, what is it that we've known? We had 75 million Americans born in a boom between 1946 and 1964. We call those people the baby boomers. So we have 75 million people. Some of them have passed away, but we have a lot of baby boomers that are still in our workforce to this day. And we know that between 2020 and 2030, those people are going to reach what we call FRA or full retirement age. So as these people retire, what's going to happen is you've got about 70 million people still that are working in the workforce, give or take. It probably might be closer to 68, but let's call it 70 million people. So we've got 70 million people that are in the system that are at their top earning years that are paying payroll taxes. Payroll taxes is the sole government source of funds that funds Social Security and Medicare. These people over this next decade are rightfully going to retire and extract themselves from paying those payroll taxes. So we're minus 70 million people, approximately 68, from paying those taxes. And then those people are rightfully going to go on to Social Security and Medicare themselves. So if we round it up to seven, that's a swing of 140 million people in the wrong direction from what we can afford to pay as American citizens and what we pay in. So we have known that this is going to be a huge problem. Real quick, just curious. So that's assuming that there's not new people entering the workforce doing that? Excellent question. So your listeners are probably thinking, yeah, but there's people to replace them, right? And yes, there is. But let's look at that for just a quick second. We have all of the millennials or we call them Gen Y, right? All the millennials are already all working because they're all in their basically 30s at this point or almost 30s. You've got some people that are in their late 20s. But then you've got Gen Z or the Zoomers or whatever you want to call them. I call them the last generation because they're Gen Z. And Gen Z, we have already part of that generation already working. They're in their young 20s. But they're already working. And what we're seeing with Gen Z is a new phenomenon. And this is the problem in a nutshell. First of all, you're replacing people that have been in the workforce for 30 plus years working at the top of their pay scale, presumably most of them. And then you've got Gen Z that are young 20s, maybe with a degree, not with a degree. And they're obviously not going to make the same amount of money. But then what we're finding 
a new phenomenon is what we call the gig economy. So people like you, you've got real estate investors that say, I don't need a W-2 job. I can go out and follow Joe's advice and do all these things and make this real estate cash flow and have a freedom number. And I don't need to work as a W-2. You've got social media influencers like YouTubers and Instagrammers. You've got gig economy like Uber driver, Uber Eats, Lyft. You've got all these people that are basically ICs, independent contractors, 1099, and they're not paying the payroll taxes, which is why California did AB5. AB5 basically says everybody is a W-2 employee for somebody else. You can no longer be an independent contractor so that they can try to recapture some of those payroll taxes and state income taxes that they're missing out on. So you will probably likely see a countrywide AB5 in this coming decade because of this shift. In the history of time, this is the largest demographic shift ever recorded. It's a worldwide phenomenon because World War II really is what made the baby boomers come so fast. And that was a worldwide war. So this is happening everywhere. This is not just happening in America. I would say Germany, it's happened probably 10 years ahead of time. There are probably 10 years before us. Japan also the same. But this is otherwise a worldwide phenomenon that every country is going to go through. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's huge. So to just kind of cap off why that's important, the CBO, Congressional Budget Office, in 2008, did a research project on what is the impact to the federal government of the mass retirement of the baby boomers, and specifically, what is the impact to Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. And they concluded that report in 2008, this has been on record for 12 years, nobody talks about it. They conclude that study by saying two things will happen. It's not a mathematical question. It's not an estimate or projection. It's a mathematical certainty. And that is number one, they said benefits will be cut. So you're going to start to see Social Security benefits being means tested. It's already done right now in the form of taxation. They calculate your certain type of income and then they tax you based on that income provisional income is what it's called. So the bottom line is they said that benefits will be cut based on the other taxable income that you have, your social security benefit will go down. Now that's not for everybody. I don't want to scare your listeners and they think, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to get $24,000 a year and I'm only making $5,000. I'm not talking to the people that are not making substantial money. But what I am saying is if you're getting a taxable distribution from an IRA account, or you're getting taxable real estate income that's substantial, anything above $20,000 a year, you can start to see that you will potentially be affected. Your social security benefit could be cut. So the first thing is we can't afford to pay the benefit that we've promised everybody. So benefits will be means tested. The second thing and the more important thing that they said is taxes will have to more than double. And they gave us projections. They said that 2008, the lowest tax bracket was 10%. They said the 10% bracket is projected to go to 25%. The then middle class tax bracket of 25% was projected to go to 63%. And the top tax bracket was projected to go to 88%. Hmm. Well, that would be a game changer. Yes, huge game changer. What you're looking at, Joe, really is European tax levels. People have to understand we've had Social Security since 1935. We've had Medicare since 1965. Yet the baby boomers, this generation that's retiring between 2020 and 2030, this generation is our first full generation that is moving on to these social programs in mass. This has never happened for America before. So because of that, We've had sort of a pay-as-you-go system between these two systems that's been very cash-rich, which is why you hear of this $3 trillion fund, this surplus fund of Social Security that we've been able to gather or at least collect, but the government has already spent it. There is no dollars in the trust fund, just so you know. So we've been able to be very cash-rich, but we always knew 
that once a full generation retired and went on to these programs, that we would have to have some sort of European-style tax system. And we've been living under Ronald Reagan's 86 tax reforms, where our top rate has been under 37% for the last 30-plus years since 87. So you can see that people have sort of gotten used to thinking that low taxes is normal. Low taxes is not normal when you have massive social welfare systems. Mm. That makes sense. The question I have, you said that these were mathematical. I think you said certainties. I don't want to misquote you, but there's no question about these two things happening is what you mentioned. But wouldn't raising taxes to, say, 88% be just one of the possible directions. It's not certain that it would happen because you could just say, well, we're going to have the provisional income, as you mentioned, just be even steeper, or maybe we'll just not do as much social security, something like that. Or maybe there's some other solution other than increasing taxes to the certainty of 88% between 2020 and 2030. Well, Obviously, they give us projections, and I would think that the government would try to fake the tax rates as long as they possibly can because these tax rates are really disastrous, and they have all kinds of implications economically, as you know. But I think what their point was, Joe, is that even after we cut benefits, so even after we means test, we still are not going to be able to pay out anywhere near what we have promised to pay. So therefore, taxes now must go up after you have cut benefits. And the other problem that we have, and this is the whole time frame venture itself, we don't have time. But the other problem we have is that when Ronald Reagan cut tax rates from 50 and 70, active and passive, in 1986 down to 28% top rate, when he did that, we didn't stop spending money as a country just because we collected that much less in taxation. What we ended up doing is we had come off the gold standard, we started really leveraging debt. When Ronald Reagan was inaugurated, we didn't even have a trillion dollars of debt. It took us October of his first term to even get to a trillion dollars of debt. But once he cut the taxes in his second term, we still kept spending like we were collecting higher taxes, but we weren't. We were just debt financing it. So what you have now is a perfect storm really in America, that basically has lived off of 30 years plus of low taxation, high debt spending. Now we have almost $30 trillion of debt. The coronavirus is certainly going to put us at $30 trillion. And that $30 trillion, which is almost what I call an unsustainable no-go debt amount for gross domestic product and taxation, when you combine that with the retirement of the baby boomers and the tax need or the the revenue need that we're going to have, we can't debt finance it. So the only alternative to raising the taxes that you're kind of thinking of is let's just finance it with debt. But we already have $30 trillion of debt, and that is almost unsustainable at, at that current level. So we are starting to get back into a corner where the only thing that we can do is really extremely raise taxes. So let's talk about the three ways that real estate is currently tax favored. Absolutely. So it's not a tax shelter, but it's really close. So a real estate investor, as you know very well, Joe, the whole MO of real estate investing with taxation is you buy your properties and you're able to shield your cash flow and therefore you're able to shield and not pay taxes through depreciation. So we buy property A and we depreciate it down completely, and we're able to shelter or shield some of that rental income from taxation because of the depreciation. Once we depreciate it down fully to a zero cost basis, now we do a 1031 exchange 
into a new property and we get to start this process all over. So basically we can go on a successive pattern of buying a property, depreciating it down, buying a property, depreciating it down and 1031 exchanging all of the gains all along that therefore we are not paying capital gains taxes on anything or even regular taxes on anything because We've shielded depreciation as much as possible through depreciation, and then we don't pay the tax on the 1031. So there's the first two advantages. Real estate allows you to use a non-cash deduction called depreciation to shield income from taxation. That's unique. We don't get that on anything else except for an intangible asset that we can amortize. So that's very unique to real estate. That's number one. That's the number one positive tax advantage. Number two, we have the 1031 exchange where you can literally sell an asset and defer the gain into a very similar asset without paying a tax. You can't do that with a stock. That's number two. And then number three and final is the 1014 or what we call the step up at death. So let's say that you've built a portfolio of $5 million. It's all depreciated fully to zero. So now you're fully paying tax on whatever cannot hide with expenses legally, obviously. I'm not trying to give any (laughs) tax tax out here. So we have fully depreciated the $5 million portfolio and the person who owns it passes and they leave it to their son. And now the son inherits that $5 million through something called the 1014 step up at death, meaning he inherits $5 million of an asset with a basis of fair market value, $5 million. And he does not have to pay any gain taxes or any income taxes on that inheritance. Estate tax, we're not going to talk about that separate. So we've got an income tax shelter of income while we're holding it, gain while we sell it, and then death, we can step it up to the next generation and never pay a tax on the income side. That's going away based on what you're saying before, at least some of that. Yeah. So what I wanted to kind of frame was I want you all to see that everything is going to be changing in this 10 year period. So by 2030, I expect everything to look very, very different. And what I always love to do in in a presidential election year, and this is not political, but whatever party is not in office, that's the party that has all the vigorous debate and comes out with all of their new tax proposals. And I always like to look at the party that's not in power, their tax proposals to start to see where we're going to see these proposals coming. So we know Trump's tax proposals because we're under his plan right now and he's got all those things. What did the Democrats, since they were the party that was going through all the rigorous debate schedule, what did they talk about? So it's very interesting. So starting with the 1031, you had Mike Bloomberg of all people, very odd real estate guy who's built a real estate empire along with his other assets to proposing the elimination of the 1031, complete elimination of the 1031. You had Pete Buttigieg propose the elimination of capital gains altogether. So basically every gain would be taxed as ordinary income. You have Joe Biden, who has obviously made it to the actual finale, could easily be the president. You have him saying that he wants to eliminate capital gains for people that make over 400000 So if you're making over $400,000 a year, all of your now income that would have otherwise been subject to a long-term capital gain at a tax-favored rate of 15 or 20%, 20% being the highest capital gain we have right now, that's going to end and it will be taxed as ordinary income. And then you had, surprisingly enough, in April of last year, Joe Biden proposed the elimination of the 1014 step up at death. 
So what you can see is a future scenario where we've already started contemplating the elimination of the 1031, the elimination of the step up at death and taxing people at ordinary income tax rates as opposed to capital gains rates, which will apply to those gains that we get since we will no longer be able to do 1031. And it's not going to happen tomorrow. This is not going to happen overnight. I'm not trying to tell people to go out, divest themselves of real estate. Real estate is a truly great asset. It's the best asset to have for inflation hedge protection over the history of America. But I do want people to understand how tax favorite it is and how it will be attacked in these next 10 years. What an insightful and to me, it's exciting. None of it is good for me personally or my business, (laughs) but ignorance is not bliss. Yeah, right? So right. it's important to get this information out there. And then everything needs to evolve or it dies. Yes. So if we can't control what's happening, then we just got to evolve with it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it's exciting because it's just getting this information out there and having the conversation is so important. And I appreciate that you are leading the conversation and brought this up. As we wrap up, how can the Best Ever listeners work with you? Great question, Joe. I have a pretty public profile. I also wrote a book called Wealth Unbroken. And if you just Google my name, Rebecca Walser, you'll find me. I'm usually on national media television once or twice a week. So if people just Google my name, they'll find my practice, they'll find my book, they'll find all my media, they'll find me. So it's W-A-L-S as in Sam E-R. My website is walserwealth.com, walserwealth.com. And what do they hire you for? So what I do is we're a money manager. So we manage a ton of money in the market and we're not anti-market. We're just not a plain Jane vanilla market money manager. Like if you go to a Merrill, Morgan, Raymond James, Edward Jones, you're going to just get what I call a triangle advisor. It's an advisor who exists within the three angles of stocks, bonds, ETFs, mutual funds, or REITs. We obviously manage money in that world, but we also leverage a lot of other strategies, specifically creating legal domestic tax shelters, which still exist in America. And also real estate is a huge part of it. We really do love real estate as inflation protection. We've enjoyed these tax-favored policies of real estate. And now it's just going to become very important for people that are real estate investors to make sure that they are starting to build tax-free asset classes alongside of their real estate portfolio so that if everything does hit the fan and when it does hit the fan, like I'm prognosticating here, they have a backup plan where they have gotten a certain amount of cash to sort of set tax-free that will be usable for them while these tax rates go to high heaven. Grateful that you're on the show, Rebecca. Thanks for talking about this. Hope you have a best ever weekend and talk to you again soon. Thanks, Joe. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Are you serious about taking the first step in the gateway to financial freedom? Then join Jake and Gino on a four-week course that will teach you how to become a multifamily real estate investor. Go to jakeandgino.com. That's J-A-K-E-A-N-D-G-I-N-O.com.